And hello, it is great to see you guys all here this morning, and we are going to be studying the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're halfway through the Gospel of Mark, and I'm really, really excited to share with you what we got going on today. It's going to be uh, kind of mind-blowing, and I hope that it blows your mind and blesses your heart, and it causes you to see Jesus in a whole new way and follow him. So would you join me in prayer as we ask God to bless our time in his word? Jesus, I thank you for your word that you gave us, even though you knew that we we would not uh, pay attention to it nearly as much as we should, even though we would get distracted by many things. And uh, Lord, we, we desire to be your disciples. Uh, you are clearly God. Um, you created everything and everything belongs to you and is from you. And God, uh, we've made a mess of this world. So many, uh, and, I, and I take credit as a human being, we have just messed things up. And God, I pray that you would be recreating and, and renewing and fixing uh, what, is, what has gone wrong uh, through your love, through your gospel. Help us to know and understand what your gospel is today and how we can partner with you, how we can be used by you, how we can be transformed by you, Jesus. And uh, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness that even though we sin and have sinned, Lord, you promise us as we repent and as we turn to you, we can be confident that we are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we want to fix our eyes and focus on you. And uh, Jesus, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Today we're going to be studying Mark chapter 8. We're at the very end. We're going to be finishing off this chapter, verses 27 through 38. And the title of today's message is, The Flesh Cannot Be Saved. Again, the flesh cannot be saved. So like I said, we have come to the middle of Mark, and actually that's not just some uh, made-up division. The book of Mark is two parts, two halves, and we are coming to this hinge point, this halfway hinge point between the first half and the second half where things drastically change. Um, and, And there's a change in message of how the gospel is presented. In the first half of Mark, what we have seen is this big gospel message that the the king uh, has come, and, and the Messiah has come. Uh, the God's anointed one has come from heaven to earth, and that was the main point of the message. He's gonna he's gonna make things right. He's gonna do wonderful things, and he's gonna heal. And he loves you, and all these things. That's what we've seen in the first half. But we're flipping over now to the second half, and the message of the second half is that the king must die. Not the king has come, but the king must die. Uh, it's a change in how the gospel is presented to us. Jesus did come from heaven. But he came from heaven to do something. So the first half is kind of like who Jesus is. And the second half could be what Jesus came to do. And, um, and then there's a, there's a change in how people are expected to respond, how people respond. In the first half, you have people are expected to repent and believe. 
That's that's our side during this first half of the book. We've seen Jesus say repent, John the Baptist say repent. You just have to acknowledge if Jesus has come from heaven to earth that you need him. Repent and believe that he is this Messiah. In the second half of the book, we move on from from just that first part to to a different uh, response. And this response is take up your cross and follow him. Much deeper, much bigger, much more thorough than just repent and believe. But now it's take up your cross and follow him. It's almost like how you begin a relationship with God by repenting and believing in what Jesus has done. And we call that justification, where you begin, you start a relationship with Jesus. And that relationship starts with him forgiving you of all your sins as you repent, acknowledge your sins, and believe or put your trust or your faith in him. Where, But the growth in a, of a Christian, the, what we do for the rest of our lives, is we learn how to pick up our cross and follow him as his disciples. And that's what we're going to really be focusing on today. Um, so again, the first half, um, is the king has come and our response is to repent and believe. And it's really interesting. Both of these halves of the book of Mark uh, in, in, here in chapter eight and way at the end of chapter 15, we have two different people that give two different confessions. And the book of Mark is kind of built on these confessions. This is going to blow your mind. Okay. This is going to be awesome. You're going to love this. Peter gives a confession of this first one in the first half. And uh, this insider, this Peter, he says, you are the Christ. We're going to see that today as we study. And that's the, the pinnacle climax, the ending of the first half of the book is when Peter says, you are the Christ. He confesses, he acknowledges you are the Christ, which means you are the one who came from heaven to earth. He, Peter is sold. He believes Jesus is the Christ. Okay. But then uh, the second half ends with another confession, and it's by an outsider, not an insider like Peter, but an outsider who was a Roman centurion who watched Jesus die. And the second half of the book ends with him saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So Peter said, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the one that we've been hoping for, the king. And and uh, the centurion says, you are the son of God. You represent God to us. We have these two different confessions. Now, this is truly amazing because these two confessions that, that, that end both halves of the book, look how the book starts. Verse 1 of Mark chapter 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark already told us what was going to happen. He snuck it right in there. In the very first verse, Mark said, This is the gospel about Jesus Christ. I'm going to explain to you in the first half how he's the Messiah, what his identity is, what he, who he is. And then the second half, I'm going to show you how he's the son of God, how he does everything God wants him to do, how he perfectly represents God to us and serves God. He's the son of God. So all of that is just this big outline of the book of Mark ended by two different confessions that are both wrapped up for us like a present in verse one. I just found that really amazing. So as we get into our text for today, we are in verse 27. It says, 
Now Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. All right, so we're going to stop right there and dig into this. These are, these are all great guys. Uh, that that people so it basically tells us Jesus' reputation is pretty good uh, among the whole country of Israel, but none of them are the truth. Okay, so his very identity, people still haven't gotten. Even though we're halfway through the book and Jesus has been doing thing after thing and miracle after miracle and teaching after teaching, telling people who he is and why he's doing what he's doing, they don't get it yet. So we know for sure one of the people who thought he was John the Baptist was Herod. And we had a whole study about that, how how he beheaded John the Baptist, but he thought he had uh, come back to life. Um, and so John the Baptist was kind of like a political um, antagonist who, who just uh, was at, very against corruption. And so some people saw Jesus in that way. Oh, Jesus, he's he's a good guy and he sure wants to do good things. Um, Elijah was the second one people thought. And, and this isn't interesting because in the Bible, Elijah, it says that he would come back before the Messiah. He kind of prepared the way for the Messiah. And so some people, they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. They thought, but he's probably preparing the way for the Messiah. Uh, so again, wrong, not true. The third thing that people said was that prophets, he's just one of the prophets, just one of those people that are chosen by God to deliver a message. And so all three of these opinions, they're kind of positive, but they're wrong. They are not. Uh, he is kind of like a prophet. He's kind of like John the Baptist. He's kind of like Elijah. But but those things are he's so different than that. They are not getting it. So that's what that, that text says. But he says here, he, he goes on and he asks his disciples, he said to them, who, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus, he just hammers in on them. I, I get what they're saying, but who do you say? And Peter answers and said, you are the Christ. This is this final confession, this this big time revelation that Peter is, is the second, this first half of the book of Mark is ending with this proclamation. Peter is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter gets it. He really does get that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, Mark has been explaining what the Messiah is for the whole first half of the book, what his job was. He quoted from Isaiah 61 what the job description of the Messiah was to bring healing and forgiveness and all the wonderful things described in Isaiah 61. He, the, Messiah, the job of the Messiah was to make things right, to save the poor and the weak and to heal the sick. And Jesus had sufficiently proved that he couldn't, can do all that. And he had done all of that. He had almost single-handedly wiped out sickness from the entire nation of Israel by this time. But there is more than Peter realizes. Peter's convinced that Jesus came to do all these things, but Peter's also kind of confused, as we're going to see. There is more to the job of being a Messiah than just healing, than just um, uh, making life better. And Jesus is going to start explaining the fullness of his job to his disciples and Peter right 
now. Jesus doesn't take a minute break. He goes right into explaining, okay, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am the king. Now I'm going to show you what it means that I'm going to be the son of God or the obedient one, the one who's going to obey my father in heaven. What am I going to do as the Messiah? Watch what he says. Then he strictly warned them, That they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things. Then be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And be killed. And after three days rise again. Jesus goes right into revealing the complete job or plan For his life, for the Messiah, the job that he has been appointed with. He is going to be the Passover lamb, the sacrifice. He's going to be rejected by this whole nation, by the whole world and all its leaders. He is going to suffer more than any human being has ever suffered. He's going to die. He's going to die unloved. He's going to die abandoned. He's going to die rejected and he's going to be hated. He's going to be put to death. Then he will have a new life and rise again. Jesus is shocking his disciples. This is a brand new revelation. It's like, I'm here to save the day and now I got to go die. Those two things don't go together in the hearts and the minds, hearts are down here, minds are up here, of the disciples. They don't go together. If you came here to do all these good things, why are you going to go die? How can you do everything we need if you're dead? That means they win. That means evil wins. How can this possibly be the plan. This is brand new information for them. This is, however, what the Son of God came to do. This is his great work. This is the plan he had from the very beginning. It's worked all through the Old Testament in various prophecies. It's promised that the Messiah would have to die, that he would have to give his life. But these disciples were blind blind to it. Jesus is finally revealing what the Messiah, what this whole Messiah thing is really about. But I want you right now, we're going to take an exercise. We're going to put ourselves in their position. We're going to walk a mile in their sandals, you could say. Um, So just imagine, this is a man who you love, okay? He has changed your life. He has healed your family, And you are fully convinced that this man loves you and that this man is even God. This is so incredible. These guys, uh, this man is, 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 is giving salvation, bringing salvation from God straight to you. And now he tells you that he is going to lose. He is going to die. You see, these people have been struggling against Rome for years. Rome was dominating them, ruling them, abusive towards them, 
and they hated every moment of it. So in their mind, when they thought about life, they thought about a horrible, horrible, horrible umbrella over them called Rome. And for them, salvation was Rome is holding us back and we need Rome to get out of here. We need someone to rise up and defeat Rome. And they have been expecting this Messiah would be the one who would deliver them from Rome. And like so many then and today, they wanted Jesus, this Messiah, they believe it's him, but they wanted him to fit into their agenda. Peter wants a Christ, a Messiah, on his own terms. A a Messiah that will benefit his plans for his life. And here's the truth, guys. It's just like us. This is us. This is what we do. We want a Messiah that does what we want. But Jesus is not a Messiah who's concerned with our will. He is the Son of God, which means he is only concerned about his Father's will, accomplishing his Father's will, doing what his Father wants. Not his own will even, just his Father's will. Jesus has put to death already his self-life. He has put to death his self-life. He will not try to save his self-life. He is going to die to self. And he's going to teach us how to do the same thing. This is the way. Jesus is showing us the way. Let's look at what he says here. He spoke this word openly. Okay, so Jesus is he's not ashamed of what he's saying. He's like, I'm going to go die. I'm ready. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be hated, suffer, be rejected, and die and rise again. Then Peter, watch this. This is so like us. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, he is riding high. He has just had Jesus, like, given the biggest compliment, saying, you know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed to you that I'm the Messiah, but my Father has chosen you, and he's given you this revelation. You really get who I am, Peter. And now Peter says, don't kill yourself. And Jesus is like, you know what? You're Satan. Wow. Peter thinks he's doing the right thing. And he's taking Jesus aside to correct him. Because there's no part in Peter's mind where it makes sense for Jesus to suffer and die. Because Peter loves Jesus. He loves his soul and his body and his spirit. So is that so wrong? What is wrong with what Peter is doing? Why is it so wrong that Jesus calls him Satan? 
technically the word adversary. You are against me. You're against God. You're standing against what God wants to accomplish. What is wrong is that Peter can't tell the difference between the things of God and the things of men. And this problem actually sets up Peter as an enemy of God's will and plan. And let me tell you, friends, we do the exact same thing all the time. We are doing this. Let me explain. Every human is made up of three parts. We have the spirit, the soul, and the body. The spirit is the part that is designed to control us. What controls you is supposed to be your spirit. That's how God created it. He created us to be like him, you know, with a spirit that leads us and controls us and empowers us to do everything that we do. The spirit is supposed to give the orders, but the spirit is invisible. You can't see it. It's spiritual, spiritual, invisible. You have a part of you that is invisible, that I can't punch in the face, that I can't pinch, that I can't see. There's a part of you and a part of me that is spirit. And it's supposed to be the part that is giving the orders for our life. The soul is very different. The spirit and the soul. And we must understand this. And this is what Peter doesn't get right now. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. All of those things are soul. This is your brain, like how you physically think and remember things. Your emotions, how you feel, and all the chemicals and stuff that go on with your feelings. And even your desires, things that you, you really yearn for. These are all described as soul. And these are supposed to be receiving orders from the spirit and then telling the body what to do. As the spirit directs. This is how it's supposed to work. And so the body is then the part that does what the soul tells it to do because the spirit gave the soul its orders. If you would think about it like kind of like an old uh, British house where you have the master who gives the orders. That would be like the spirit who gives orders to the steward of the house and they would tell all the servants what to do. So that's how it's supposed to work. Spirit, soul, and body. But the problem is, is that ever since Adam, and Adam messed this up, Satan has tricked us. He tricked Adam, he's tricked us into letting our soul make decisions instead of the spirit. And this effectively killed the spirit for the first time in the Garden of Eden. When, when the soul took precedence over the spirit and said, uh, remember, so I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Think about they were thinking with their mind, you know, as Satan came and he started a conversation and he said, hey, think about this, guys. Does God really want this and God really want that? And pretty soon they're all confused about what God wanted because they're using their mind. They're considering their desires. Satan started saying, don't you want this? Think about it. You, you're, you're, you're using your brain. Why would God do this? Now, I look at, think about how, how you feel. Think about your emotions and think about your desires. Don't you want to be wise? Don't you want to eat this apple? Don't you feel like you should? 
And these, this is how Satan tricked them. And it's how, so ever since we become believers, and before that, Satan has the same plan for us to trick us and to do this. So when we become believers, something changes though. God plants his spirit alive into our hearts, even though our spirit, the, the part that should have been giving us control to or orders to do the right thing, that part of us was dead. So none of us were doing the right thing. We were all lost and, and just doing what we wanted and what our brain was telling us and what our desires told us and what our emotions told us to do. Those are soul things. That's not supposed to be how a, a human being operates. But when we become believers in Jesus, he gives us a new spirit. Our spirit is made alive and now we can receive the orders of righteousness into our life. You can and you can listen to it. This is how it was designed by God for the spirit to give us orders. But soon as we start walking with Jesus, what happens is we realize that our soul is swollen and it is drunk with power and it is not excited to give up control. Our soul is a problem. Again, the soul means the mind, the will, and the emotions, and those three things do not want to give up control. Our soul is a bossy thing, prideful to the core. So we see that we still want to make decisions based on what we feel, what we desire, and what we think. All things that are not spiritual, but it's what we do. These are soul things. And this is not what is supposed to lead us. When we talk about our soul, mind, will, and emotions, plus our body together, when we talk about all that, we use the term flesh. That's how that works. And God commands us all throughout scripture to deny our flesh and walk by the spirit. That's the will of God for you. And this is what Jesus is doing right here. He's living a life led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And this is what Peter does not get. Yes, the flesh is part of you. Your mind and your will and your emotions are a huge part of you. But no matter how holy or righteous you think your mind is or your will is or your emotions are, they are not the boss. They're not supposed to be. They are not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they must, here's the key word, die. Whoa. Why do they have to die? That sounds really aggressive, really severe. You're telling me my mind, my will, and my emotions must die? Well, because they must die because they will never submit to God's will. They will never submit to God's will. They will always desire the glory. They will always want to live and thrive according to their own will because they cannot submit to God's will. The soul, your soul and my soul, will ever be the enemy 
of the Holy Spirit. It will always rebel. God declares that there is no plan to reform your soul or save the flesh and, and, and let it live. That is not the plan. But it simply must be denied today and destroyed tomorrow. That's the, that's the plan. We have one plan given to us for our flesh. And this is not what our mind wants to hear or our body or our will or our emotions. Our flesh recoils at the thought of its utter worthlessness in God's holy eyes. Wow. Following God is not easy. It's death. And so I get why people don't want to follow Jesus. I get it. There is two-thirds of me that also does not want to follow Jesus. My soul and my body, my mind, my will, my emotions are rebels. And our flesh is pictured by Peter right here. Taking aside the Messiah to tell him how things should really go. And Jesus responds to our flesh with an accurate identification. He says, our flesh is on Satan's team. Get behind me, Satan, he says. Our flesh is the adversary. Our flesh is what's opposed to the will of God's spirit at every point. Peter, this is the problem. So Jesus is about to show us as the true Messiah, how to deny and destroy flesh, how to live and walk by spirit, letting the spirit lead into suffering and pain and sorrow so that the flesh can never gain control. The flesh will end up dead and Jesus will be raised in glory. The flesh is no more problem only when it's dead. That's the only time our flesh is not going to be a problem anymore. That's the only way. And Jesus overcame the flesh he inherited by being a son of Mary, who was the son of Adam. He inherited that flesh and he knew it had to die. Not just die, but suffer, then die. And now Jesus calls us to follow him in these crazy footsteps of self-denial and, and death. Watch this. He says, look at our text. He says this. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. To walk in the spirit, Jesus teaches us right here, you must deny self, deny your flesh, and death to self, death to flesh. That has to be your attitude. And this is not fun. Again, if we're going to deny flesh, we have to deny our mind. In other words, we can't live by how we think. What you think is smart, what you think is practical, Jesus says, give it a rest. Actually, deny it. Kill it. You can't follow Jesus by being smart. Mm. 
our will. You can't follow Jesus by wanting it more. That's not what following Jesus is all about. Oh, but you don't understand how much I want. Your want is soul, not spirit. So no, that's not what Jesus is looking for. It's not. Well, I don't really, my, my desires are so off. There, I, I want this, I want that, and it's not good. I know. And it's easy to just understand now that your desires are part of your soul, which must be denied. You can't let it live. What about our emotions? How we feel? Man, I just don't feel like following Jesus today. I don't feel like, uh, like, like loving. I don't feel. Yeah, I get it because feelings are flesh or I do feel. And so that means I'm a great Christian because I feel like going to church today. No, no, that is not what makes a great Christian. Feelings are soul and they can be positive or negative, but they're always soul. Not to be listened to, not to run our lives. That is not what feelings are for. The Spirit is supposed to give the orders. And if your feelings don't line up with what the Spirit is telling you to do, deny your feelings. But okay, okay. So God's Word says don't um, you know, sleep with someone you know, that I'm not married to, but that's reserved for marriage. And so the Spirit is telling me that. That's the instructions of the Spirit is uh, he is going to provide me a wife someday. This is for the unmarried people. But my feelings, oh my gosh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's it's just so, it, it, that's what I feel like I should do. I feel like this is this is what's best for me. And God says, deny your feelings. Deny the soul the opportunity to order your life or, or give orders to your life. You listen to what the Spirit says through the Word of God. Our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions will argue and resist all the way. All the way. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Let the Spirit lead. Not my mind, not my will, and not my emotions. But let the Spirit believe. Believe that He has given you His Spirit. And as you look to the Word of God, Jesus will show you His will. The Holy Spirit will use the Bible to show you what His will is. And His will will never please the flesh. Following Jesus is never going to make sense it is never going to be what you want to do deep down inside, and it is never going to feel right. That's crazy. Okay, but the Holy Spirit is always right. Your flesh will fight against him the whole way. It's never going to serve the flesh to serve God. It won't be, be what you feel or think or want. But that's the way it is. Peter couldn't get that right now as he's confronting Jesus. But Jesus explains it further here. Look what he says. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You can't save your flesh. You can't live to please our flesh. 
We must kill it. We must lose it. It must die in its rebellion. And as we surrender to our flesh, uh, surrender our flesh to death, denying its will in exchange for the will of Jesus, our life is actually saved. So as you kind of assign your flesh to death, saying, I'm picking up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what you say, mind, will, and emotions, I'm going to follow Jesus, you have effectively killed your flesh and Jesus is your boss now. He is leading you by his spirit. Jesus says here, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It may seem embarrassing or even shameful to say we can't do anything right in our flesh. That our mind is broken that our will is wrong, that our emotions are flawed. And the world is even going to mock this type of surrender. They will take us aside and say, you aren't that bad. You don't need to suffer so much. You should respect your flesh. You should treasure it. You should try to save it. Don't deny it or destroy it. And the Spirit will say, Get behind me, adversary. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that's what the flesh really is it's man, it's the best and the worst of us. And Jesus says it all needs to go away. I want you to be something different, I want you to be spirit. Led. I want you to be spiritual. So that is our time in the Word this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for digging in and studying the Word of God with me. We're going to now pray and ask God to lead us by His Spirit and give us um, victory and the, the, the strength to deny our flesh and to destroy this flesh uh, by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us already on the cross. Jesus, we look now to you because we cannot de deny our flesh or destroy our flesh on our own. We need your spiritual power and strength. I pray you'd forgive us for how long it takes us to learn these things, for how far we walk by the flesh. And I pray that you would turn us around, teach us to deny our flesh, to take up our cross and follow you, uh, obeying the Holy Spirit in all things. We need you for this. We ask that you would do it for us. We agree that your way is the right way, and uh, we now know how to rightly divide between spirit and soul. Your word has taught us. It has been a sharp two-edged sword that has correctly divided between soul and spirit. And now we can see what is good, the spirit, and what is evil, our soul. And we pray that you would give us victory 
Teach us to deny it and Jesus be the center and Lord of our lives. We, we pray that as we continue studying through the book of Mark, that we would be taking up our cross and following you, learning how to be your disciples. We believe you are the Messiah and we ask that you would truly help us to see all that you have come to do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. You are loved. You are not alone. And I know that this time is very difficult, uh, but we pray for each one of you. Join us in our prayer meetings this week at four o'clock on Tuesday and Thursday, and um, we'll see you soon.